And is that not, my friends, is that not the sad history of King Solomon himself, the author of the first 29 chapters of Proverbs? Oh, all of those chapters have all kinds of proverbial wisdom. And would it have been to God that Solomon himself would have followed his own Proverbs? This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part one of Pastor Lance Quinn's series from Proverbs chapter 31, titled Wine, Women, and the Song of Justice. Pastor Lance's text is the first nine verses of chapter 31, in which King Lemuel is recalling words spoken to him by the Queen Mother. When we read the scriptures, we may say to ourselves, how many mistakes, how many bad choices could I have avoided If only, the Bible is amazing in its universality. Some things never change. We people don't seem to recognize the patterns of mankind. We have the same desires and still make the same mistakes that people made since we first walked on earth. What do you wish your parent had told you, or perhaps tried to tell you, that you unfortunately had to learn from bad experiences? Well, in this series, Pastor Lance teaches the timeless lessons that serve as signposts for life to keep us on track. Listen now to part one of Wine, Women, and the Song of Justice. Well, believe it or not, this morning we come to the last chapter in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 31. In Proverbs chapter 30, we were introduced to a man named Augur as the author of that chapter. King Solomon has been the author of all of the Proverbs from Proverbs chapter 1 through chapter 29. Augur follows in chapter 30. And now we're introduced to a new author, King Lemuel. King Lemuel. And really, in a sense, we're also introduced to his mother, the Queen Mother. Because really... Chapter 31 is an example of the instruction from a mother to a son. And of course, in verses 10 to 31, we have depicted for us the proverbial virtuous woman. And this undoubtedly is a portrayal of who this woman is in King Lemuel's mind as is every woman who aspires to be godly and holy and righteous. And so for this morning, I want to introduce us to King Lemuel and to what the Queen Mother wants to say about him. And by the way, this is unique to the book of Proverbs, actually somewhat unique throughout the entire Old Testament, that the Queen Mother is talking to a son And for it to be inscripturated in the Word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a unique picture of what a mom wants to do in instructing her son about his vocation in life. The Queen Mother, who is unnamed and who is probably a non-Hebrew, because the name Lemuel itself is non-Hebrew, We don't know exactly where in the Middle East they derive their background and their ancestry, 
but they are converts to the Hebrew faith. We know that because in verse 30 of this chapter, we are told that a person who fears the Lord is to be praised. And the Lord that is to be feared, according to King Lemuel, is Yahweh. Yahweh God, the God of Israel. And so, King Lemuel and his mother are converts to Judaism. And they are giving us, as I said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, an opportunity for us to be instructed as mom instructs son. Now, what is it that she instructs her son to know, to be warned about, to be both in his doing and in his thinking? Well, this morning I'm going to give you nine verses before we get to that virtuous woman in verses 10 through 31, we have an introduction. And the introduction to the chapter is given to us in the first nine verses. So if you would, please turn to Proverbs 31, looking at verses 1 to 9 this morning. I want to give you three ways that the Queen Mother warns her son about life and about living. But before we get to those three ways, I want you to see verses 1 and 2 as an introduction not only to this chapter, but certainly to verses 1 through 9. This is what the Bible says, Proverbs 31, verses 1 and 2. The words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. What, O my son, and what, O son of my womb, and what, O son of my vows? Now, that may not seem particularly exciting to you. It may not seem as though a mom is attempting to be very passionate toward her son. But the queen mother most assuredly is attempting to be very, very clear and definitive and dynamic and passionate to her boy about what she wants to warn him regarding. Now you say, how does it come through in these words? I'll show you. Look back at verse 1. The words of King Lemuel. The oracle. Now this is not an oracle as though it's a prophetic word. Usually that's what the word oracle might have as a connotation. But here it's more generically, more distinctly the idea of simply a word of wisdom. It's here in the wisdom literature. And the oracle is something that he's been taught that he now wants to teach others. And he's been taught by his mother, the queen mother. And notice what she says in verse 2. What, O my son? And what, O son of my womb? And what, O son of my vows? Now, believe it or not, that's passion in the heart of a mom. It's passion because three distinct times she is trying to get his attention. She's trying to communicate passionately, and she does it in three ways. Notice the first one. She says, what, O my son? We could say that that is the family connection. She's emphasizing the idea that Lemuel is her son 
by way of a family connection. In other words, you're my son, and I want you to listen very, very carefully to what I have to say. And then secondly, she says, and what, O son of my womb? She becomes even more intimate, even more direct with him. Not only just the family connection, you're a son in this household, but you are the son of my very womb. You've come out of my own body. And because she says it that way, she's communicating very, very passionately and very clearly that I want you, my son, to be warned of some things because you are the son of my very womb. You've come out of my own body. If you're a mom out there and you have children, you know exactly what she's referring to because the pain of that childbirth and the duty to raise that child is much on a woman's heart. And notice what she says thirdly, and what, O son of my vows? Apparently, either prior to Lemuel's birth, or certainly during and after his birth, she's made a vow to Yahweh about this boy. Is that familiar? 1 Samuel chapter 1. Turn there with me. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Do you remember this very vow-taking that Hannah prescribed in her desire to have a son? You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, she was greatly distressed that the Lord had not opened her womb. She desperately wanted to have a son. She desperately wanted to vow to the Lord, to give to the Lord a son that she would dedicate to Him. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And then verse 11, she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come on his head. In other words, he would be a Nazarite. He would fulfill a vow to the Lord that his mother vowed to the Lord. And of course, we know that this came to pass. If you want a New Testament example of that, look at 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, you know that there was a man named Timothy that Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Yes, he was Paul's spiritual son in a sense, but it even went back prior to that. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul was his spiritual mentor, his spiritual discipler, his father in the faith. That is sure. But where did that faith come from? Chapter 1, 2 Timothy verse 5. He says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And look at chapter 3, verse 15. From childhood, Paul says to Timothy, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So, whether we're talking about Hannah in the Old Testament vowing to the Lord to give her a son, or whether we're talking about 
Lois and Eunice asking the Lord for a son for whom ultimately he could be a son in the lineage to the apostleship of the Apostle Paul, we're talking about women who are absolutely dedicated to bringing up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And Lemuel's mother is no different. She is no different at all. And when she says, Oh, my son, she's talking about a family connection. And then when she says, Oh, Son of my womb. She's talking about a physical connection. You came from me. And I want you to know, Lemuel, that I vowed to God upon your birth that you would be a warrior for the Lord, that you would be a king for Him, that your princely or kingly rule would be to the glory of Yahweh. And now I'm telling you what, what, what. You see those three words that are listed there in Proverbs 31? She's bringing him to the what question. She's asking questions. What? 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 It's a way to introduce the three points that she now gives. And here are the three points. Excuse the crass outline. Wine, women, and song. It just seemed to fit. Although I had to tweak song a little bit to call it a song of justice. But you know what I mean. That has no particular Christian illustration, in fact, far from it. But it does work for us to remember that these are the three what's that the Queen Mother wants Lemuel to know in his life and in his kingly rule. She wants to warn him about women. She wants to warn him about wine And she wants to warn him to execute justice in a way that is righteous and holy. And she does it with great pathos in her voice. She's saying, you're my son. Maybe he's her only son. And she's been converted to Judaism. And she brings this son up in the ways of Yahweh. And now he's become a king. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know any other background about them. But we do know this. She is absolutely passionate. She's determined to see him honor the Lord in all of the ways of Yahweh. And she brings now to this chapter such a passion, such a desire, that when Lemuel, probably years later is thinking about writing this very chapter of Proverbs, this wonderful, virtuous chapter, he can't help but think back to the time that his mom discipled him in the words of the faith and in three key areas of his kingly rule. And I believe after this morning, you and I will see that it is that kind of rule that fits perfectly with these three areas of our lives and what we're to be warned about also. Here's the first one. Here's the first one. What is he to be warned about specifically? Women. Women. Verse 3. Notice it with me. Do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. That's the first what. What, O my son? On what are you to be instructed? For what are you to be warned? You're to be warned about the seductress. About the adulteress. 
Or, like King Solomon, to be warned about foreign women, foreign wives. To be warned to have only one love and not to be swayed, as it were, by many women who will direct your heart away from Yahweh, away from the service of the Lord, away from kingly rule that will be honoring to the Lord and to be compromising as a ruler. That's what he's warning himself about through the echo of the discipleship of his mother. This is incredibly important. For all of the kings of Israel, and you know the sad history of so many of them, if not most of them, they did not do the very thing that King Lemuel's mother passionately warned him about. In fact, all the way back to Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 17. All the way back in Deuteronomy, Moses warns all of the future leaders of the house of Israel to be warned about their leadership, about their kingly rule. And in Deuteronomy chapter 17, you have this at the very beginning of Israel's history. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. And now, here's the plan. Here's the Lord's instruction. Here's His will. Here's the mandate. Here's the command. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen. You shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, that is, be greedy, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. And then notice this in verse 17, he shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Very clear warnings. Very clear guidelines on what each of these kings of Israel must stay away from. The accumulation of riches, horses, silver and gold, the intoxication of of power. Even though they are the sovereign head of their people, they're not to be intoxicated with power, with greed. And stuck right in the middle of that, the multiplicity of of wives, of women. And for what purpose? Or else his heart will turn away. And is that not, my friends, is that not the sad history of King Solomon himself, the author of the first 29 chapters of Proverbs? Oh, all of those chapters have all kinds of proverbial wisdom. And would it have been to God that Solomon himself would have followed his own Proverbs? Look at Nehemiah. Look at Nehemiah's book that is so excellent in this regard of warning us. Look at the last chapter, chapter 13. He, Nehemiah, even gives us a warning from Solomon's own life. He gives us a warning about mixed marriages, about sexual immorality, we might say, in our day and age. 
In chapter 13, verse 23, In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. In other words, they had so intermarried that they weren't even able to speak the language of their own heritage. Verse 25, so I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair. That's certainly not the welcome wagon. And made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Why? Why the violent reaction on the part of Nehemiah? Verse 26, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Hence, the very warning that the queen mother gives to King Lemuel, don't fall to the same fate. Avoid Sexual immorality. Bruce Waltke says about this text, Obsession with such women corrupts the king's sovereign power, including wasting his money. Gratification of lust distracts his attention from serving the people, blunts his wit, undermines his good judgment, exposes him to palace intrigues, and squanders the national wealth better spent to promote the national good. David's lust for Bathsheba made him callous toward justice and cost Uriah his life. And Solomon's many sexual partners made him callous toward pure and undefiled religion and incapable of real love. Yes, it did. It made him callous to those things. And in fact... In chapter 11 of 1 Kings, verse 1, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. That's the sad fact, the tragedy. Now, with that as a background, notice what Solomon himself has done in the book of Proverbs in warning his own son Rehoboam against such things. And notice it well. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. This is a warning regardless of the man who is speaking it, regardless of the man who is warning you, the warning stands still, the warning stands strong, the warning stands unabated. Proverbs chapter 2 you need to know the way of righteousness, the path of uprightness, chapter 2, verse 13, not to walk in the way of darkness, to stay away from those who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. This wisdom of God that is at your disposal is to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today 
Isn't it interesting in this information age that we can get the news, information, directions, and so much more faster than ever before, yet good counsel is still so hard to find? Godly wisdom comes directly from the Bible, God's Word, that He has imparted to mankind through His irresistible grace. If you don't get your wisdom from God, where do you go? And how's that going for you so far? If you're interested on finding out how God's wisdom can change your destiny, now and forever, come to our website, TimelessTruthToday.org. That's TimelessTruthToday.org. Select Broadcasts, and there you'll discover a treasury of Pastor Lance's gospel-centered messages. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Lance Quinn and a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Tomorrow, we continue in our new series with part two of Wine, Women, and the Song of Justice. I hope you'll join us then. I'm Matt Williams for Timeless Truth Today. Thank you for listening.